This is the third part of the sort of teaching discussion series that I've been doing on grace and the new covenant, more specifically, developing a new covenant lens, understanding the nature of the new covenant so that we can have a better idea of what the new covenant is really all about, what it provides for us, why it is so much better than that old covenant. <laughs> and so been going through the new covenant. We're going to continue on that in this week's episode. So I do appreciate you guys so much for being here. And uh, if you get anything out of this episode, if the content blesses you, maybe makes you think or challenges you or anything like that, I do invite you to subscribe, leave a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms if you are listening to this. And if you're watching this on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, wherever you are checking this out, then uh, if you would uh, leave a comment or review or whatever you can do there, I appreciate it very, very much. So thank you guys so much in advance. I started on this because number one, I'm just I'm so passionate about this because I really, really want you, I really, really want God's people to understand the fullness of what Jesus accomplished for us, that through his finished work on the cross, once and for all time, he became the sacrifice so that you and I don't have to sacrifice any longer. Now, you understand that we don't actually literally sacrifice in terms of sacrificing animals and bulls and goats and stuff like that. But there is this aspect, I think, of our Christianity, of our walk with the Lord, where I think sometimes we are trying to do things in order to gain God's favor. We're trying to do things to get God to look at us, to get God to see us differently, to get God to see us better, to get God to love us more. We think it's the things that we do, the sacrifices that we make, the good works that we do that cause God to bless us. You know, we're praying, we're believing God, we're asking God for something. You know, if you've got sickness or something in your body, I see a lot of Christians do this, and I, and I kind of see this tendency even with myself sometimes, and I have to catch myself and be like, hold on, that's not what this is about at all. And it's like, I'm asking God for something that I need or that I really, really want, particularly when it's something that I really, really need. Like if there's an issue of sickness or there's something going on that's like a real big deal, then sometimes I feel like we have this tendency that's almost to like, oh, I got to make sure I don't have any sin in my life. I got to make sure that I'm doing everything right. And it's it's good to want to not have sin in your life. So don't hear what I'm not saying. It's good to want to make sure that you are doing things that that glorify and honor the Lord. But where we need to draw that line, and it needs to be a hard and fast line, is when we start to think that God is going to heal us because we're refraining from sin or because we're not doing certain things or because we're doing all the right things or because we're saying things all the right way or whatever the case may be. Because when we do that, what we're doing is we're making it about us. We're making it about our works instead of his works. And the truth is that under the new covenant, God is not looking at your works to determine whether or not he's going to bless you. The only works that God is looking at in order to determine what kind of blessing you're going to get is Jesus's works. And we waste a lot of time and we miss the point and we get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we start bringing our achievements and our accolades and our good deeds and our sacrifices and these things before the Lord so that God can bless us more, so that God can love us more, so that he can shower more grace or more favor or more whatever upon us. 
And it just doesn't work like that under grace. It doesn't work like that in the new covenant. And I don't know about what you think, but to me, that is fantastic news because I don't always get it right. And I don't always have everything going on correctly in my life and whatever else. Right. And so I'm so grateful that it's not dependent on my works, on my abilities, but it is dependent on the finished work of Jesus. He did it once and for all. He became that final sacrifice so that God doesn't look at your merits and your works and your accolades to determine what you deserve or determine what you get. He looks at Jesus, period. So I wanted to start off in this uh, week's discussion here, kind of segment into this teaching series on the new covenant. I want to read a few verses out of Philippians chapter three, something that I mentioned a few weeks ago when we, when we did, I don't know if it was, I think it was the first session on this, but it talked about how really Paul is the one, the apostle Paul really does by far the most teaching and really sheds the most light on the new covenant um, in terms of our understanding, the way he talks about grace, the way he teaches on this subject, we really get the vast majority of our understanding of the new covenant from the writings of Paul. And then we get a ton also from the writer of Hebrews, whether you believe that that was Paul or somebody else, it doesn't really matter, but we get a, a, a ton in the book of Hebrews as well. But so much of the, of the New Testament writing that deals with the new covenant and understanding the new covenant and really discipling and instructing believers into the mindset of the new covenant, so much of it comes from Paul. And I think it's really, really interesting that God chose Paul to do this when Paul was this Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Paul was the guy who really had, I mean, if you were to like stack people up of that day, Paul was one of the guys who had like the most to lose from buying into the new covenant because the works of his life really lined up with the old covenant. They really lined up with the law. And, and he talks here in Philippians chapter three about, about how he had reason to, to be confident in his flesh and to boast. And so let me read these verses so that we can understand what I'm talking about here. So I'm going to start Philippians chapter three. I'm going to start in verse three. And Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Then he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he Hey, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he's saying, if anybody should be confident in the flesh, he's saying, don't be confident in the flesh. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. In other words, don't put your confidence in the works that you're able to do in the flesh, because that's not what this is about. That was old covenant mindset. We're coming into the new covenant mindset. So he says, don't have any confidence. He says, he says have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, even though like I, more than anybody, could have reason to have confidence in the flesh. If we were going to have confidence in the flesh, then that would actually be perfect for me. And let me tell you why. And so starting in verse five, he starts going through this list of all of the things, of all the different reasons that he could really be confident in the flesh. And so he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So adhering to the law there, right from uh, the get-go, from the eighth day of his life, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So he goes through this list, kind of like listing this pedigree of under the law, 
under the old covenant, like he really had it going on. I mean, Paul was it. Paul was the man. Now, he wasn't the only one who had these kind of accolades, but he was definitely up there in the upper shallant of what a good law-abiding Pharisee was in the day. And then we get to verse 7, and he says, But what things were gained to me? So these are the things that I used to count as gain. Under the law, these are the things. This is where I got my value. This is what I dedicated my life to. It was this stuff. It was having zeal under the old covenant, under the law, concerning righteousness, blameless, devoting his life to being blameless before God, again, according to the law. And according to the law meant that it was based on works. That's how you derived your righteousness or your right standing before God. Your position of rightness before God came from the works that you did. And he says, based on that, he was blameless. Nobody could have blamed him. Nobody could have had an accusation that could stand against him because he did it so well. But then he says, but what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Kind of the main key verse that I wanted to focus on there was verse 9. So let me read it again. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So what kind of righteousness comes from the law? Your own righteousness. In other words, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness comes from the law because what do you do under the law? You do all kinds of stuff in order to get right, in order to get right standing. It's fully based. Your right standing is completely based on the stuff that you do, the way that you perform. So he says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Why? Because that's an outdated, obsolete covenant. The old covenant, we already talked about this. It is obsolete. It is outdated. It is. It has, excuse me, been replaced by a new and much better covenant, meaning that the old covenant is an inferior covenant. It was great back then. It was valuable. It was God-given. It was not evil by any means. But now because grace has come, because Jesus instituted the new covenant in his blood, we have no need to live under the old covenant any longer, which means that we have no need to live under old covenant mindsets and paradigms any longer. But that which is, so this is not my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he says it there twice, two different ways about the righteousness being by faith in Christ. And then he says, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So it's no longer my righteousness. It's no longer your righteousness. It's no longer self-righteousness that comes about by doing a whole bunch of good things in order to please God. No, the righteousness that you have and the righteousness that I have is from God. God says, you've come into my family. I've made you righteous. 
boom, that's how this works. That's what this is. And that's why this is so amazing. And that's why I think it's so amazing coming from Paul, because Paul, even though, again, like if I were to measure my life up against Paul, like, look, it's easy for me to say, because I'm so imperfect, like it's, it's kind of, and it's not even easy for me being imperfect, but, but uh, it, it's easier for me probably for sure than it was for Paul, because if I were to like stack my life up against Paul's, you know, based on just like doing the right things under the law to be pleasing to God, then like I wouldn't even come close. Paul was this guy who actually like he did enough. Like he was doing enough under the law to be justified and to be found righteous according to the standard of the law. So like he he according to the standard of the law, Paul was good. Paul was on his way to heaven. Paul was doing right stuff according to the standard of the law. But I love the fact that Paul, even being justifiable based on the standard of the law, that he's so willing to give it up and surrender it because he recognizes that even though he personally qualified under the law, like according to the standard of the law, he was like doing good. He recognizes that even though that may have been true, that the that under grace, that the new covenant so far outshined what he could ever get to or what he could ever accomplish through his own works and through adhering to the old standard of the law, that he's like, I count this as worthless. I count this as, he uses the word in the New King James, rubbish or garbage or uh, like I think one of the translations is dung, like crap. You know, in other words, so he's like, like, this is absolutely nothing. My self-righteousness, which came through the law, is like disgusting to me. It used to be the thing that I hung my hat on. It used to be the thing that I gave everything for. It used to be the thing that governed my life, that I devoted every moment of my life to studying and to getting better at and to doing better and to instructing and all of this kind of stuff. But he says, now that I've known Christ and Christ has shown me what's actually available under grace apart from the works of the law, man, it doesn't even compare. This is like garbage on a trash heap compared to what's available to us in Christ. Not based on our works, but based on his works. It's so amazing because you and I can come to God with all of our good stuff that we're trying to do for him. And we can present it to him in this way. We're like, God, look at me. Look what I did for you today. And we can think in our minds, like we can feel in our minds, like we accomplished something by doing something when really our heavenly father is looking at us through the lens of Jesus saying, my son, my daughter, you are so perfect to me. And even when you mess up, you're still perfect. Even when you don't get it right, you are still perfect to me because of what Jesus did for you. And Jesus did that for you because I loved you. It's so amazing that from the moment that we make our, that decision to give our lives to him and we enter into the family of God and the Holy Spirit enters into us to take up residence within us, that when God sees Jesus, he sees you. And when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because it's about what he's done, not about what we've done. Let me let me read a, um, 
another just really, really powerful verse on this, which I just can't remember if I read this last time or not. I probably did now that I think about it, but Romans chapter five and it's verse 19. Let me see if I need to read into it. I'm just going to read verse 19. Romans chapter five, verse 19 says, for as by one man's, excuse me, for as by one man's disobedience, and there we're talking about Adam, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, talking about Jesus, many will be made righteous. So it's by his obedience. This is like the thing. I know I just keep doing it, but I just want to drill this into, into our heads. It's like by one man's obedience, verse 18, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. It's not about your works. It's not about my works. It's not about the things that we do. It's not about your obedience. Your obedience really is important. Your obedience really matters, but not for the sake of being right with God. Because that was based on Jesus's obedience. You are right with God. When you put your faith in Jesus, that's what this is. That's why righteousness comes by faith. By um. Uh, or, or we can say this by grace through faith that the righteous, the, the gift of God's righteousness comes to you and it's through faith in Jesus Christ it's by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by your works because you have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, it is by his grace and it is through faith. And by the way, we're not even going to get into this now because I just don't have time to go down this rabbit hole. But the faith that you need to even get there isn't even your faith. It's his faith that he gives to you. Like all of this is just an absolute grace gift. All of it is an absolute grace gift. And um, it, it, let, me, let me just tell you, if you want to find that stuff, um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse verses 8 and 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 are some really, really awesome places to look that really talk about how this faith that you and I have that really gives us access by grace into God's goodness and God's presence into the family of God. It didn't come from you. It didn't come because you conjured up some kind of faith. It came because God is so good that he gave you the faith just so that you could even take that step uh, across the threshold into the family of God. Like it's all, it's all a gift of grace. So that means we don't need to keep striving for it. We don't need to keep striving and fighting and clawing our way to the top so that God can see us better. No, God sees you perfectly because when he sees Jesus, he sees you. And when he sees you, he sees Jesus because you are in Christ. It does not get better than that. It, it just doesn't. You are in Christ. You're a new creation. The former things have passed away. Your old man, your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. And we live in him, but it's his life in us. I mean, this is just like this. It just doesn't get any better than this. 
And I just am like trying to just more and more just hungry to wrap my head around this, which is why I'm doing this teaching for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Um, uh, Jim Baker says uh, that it's not about us bringing our report cards to God anymore that we get to that the report card that we bring to God is Jesus's report card. <laughs> it's, it's like under the old covenant, it was all this stuff like, Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to not do this. I got to make sure that I do this. I got to sacrifice this way. I got to go to this place at this time and do it this way. And like all this stuff that we had to do. Then it was like, God, look at, look at what I did for you. And we just don't have to do any of that anymore because Jesus already did it. It's his obedience, not yours that qualifies you to receive the blessing that God has for you. So the next time you go to pray and you feel like, oh man, I can't ask God for this right now because I haven't repented from that last thing. Or I can't ask God for this right now because I just know that there's stuff in my life. Just stop. Just stop. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not fall out of Christ because you sinned. You do not get separated from God because you sinned. You don't because it's not about your obedience. It's about his. You've accepted his free gift of salvation and eternal life. So now we get to walk in it. But you don't lose it because you, you didn't walk in it the right way. I hope that's good news for somebody. So, um, man, grace is just so much better <laughs> at everything than the law was Let, let's 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 go here because um i want to do i want to uh, talk about kind of the a little bit about grace um which is the the basis for this new covenant and i i just think that this is amazing so one of the things that grace does so i'm going to read a verse to you guys that if you are thinking that you know, I'm just, uh, I, I, I don't know. What happens is when we start talking about grace like this, people start to say that we're giving people license to sin. People start to, you know, say that, oh, this is hyper grace or like whatever other, you know, tagline they want to put on that. And, and like, this is the, the, the kind of thing where, you know, we're, we're just talking about things that are going to give people this idea that it's okay to sin and that it doesn't matter when they sin and that they don't have to repent from their sin and all this kind of stuff. And this doesn't do any of that. Grace doesn't do any of that. You know what grace does? Grace actually takes away the excuse. See, grace is so good. The grace of God is so good that it's actually empowering us to leave sin behind, to be free from sin. It's just not condemning us for the struggle of sin while we're in the process, which is really cool. Because under the old covenant, you had to not sin in order to be righteous. Under the new covenant, you are righteous already. And so grace empowers you to leave sin behind. It's like, you know, under under the old covenant, it's all about the stuff that I have to do to stop sinning. Under the new covenant, it's like I don't even have time for that sin stuff anymore because I'm so free to fall more and more in love with Jesus and to just go deeper into his presence and to be face to face with him because there's no veil separating me from him anymore. There's nothing separating me. There's nothing holding me back from getting to know all of who God is. 
And so I get to focus my attention on that. I get to focus my attention on beholding him. And as we talked about in uh, part two of this teaching series on the new covenant, that as you behold him, you become more like him. And as you behold him, you become transformed more and more into the image of the one that you're beholding. And so sin just automatically becomes a thing of the past. Now, it might be a process. It might take time. It might take a while to get rid of a sin habit. It might take a while to, to lose the desire for certain sinful pleasures. It might take a while for, for you to deal with addictions and things like that. But it's it's not, you're not, uh, God doesn't condemn you while you're in that process. But what it does, what grace does is it takes the weight of all of that stuff off of you and it puts it on what Jesus has already done so that you can look at Jesus and as, as the way to be free. Grace doesn't hold us in bondage in the same way that the law did. Grace frees us up by positioning us in right standing with God from the beginning so that we are completely free to walk with him, to follow him, to hear his voice, to be led by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in and experience his freedom. This is why Paul tells us in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, as you, excuse me, nope. Colossians 2, verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, and I can't remember what verse it is uh, right at the moment, and I already turned the page, but the first few verses there, Romans chapter 6, that I think it's verse 4, that we get to walk in newness of life because of what he's done for us. And so the pressure of having to do certain things and live a certain way in order to measure up, that stuff is removed. And God has already placed us into himself and positioned us with his righteousness so that there's nothing holding us back so that we are free to just fall in love with him. We're free to get to know him. And as we get to know him, sin loses its luster. And the other thing that grace does, grace empowers us to be free, but it also, because it empowers us to be free and because it is so empowering, it actually removes our excuses. This is really, really cool. Grace removes our excuses. See, a lot of people think that grace sweeps sin under the rug. That's not grace. That's a perversion of grace. Grace is not this thing where we just ignore people's sin and pretend that, you know, we can do whatever we want and, and God's not like, like grace doesn't do that. That's not what grace is about. What grace does is it, is it shows us that we've been set free from the law of sin and death once and for all so that we're no longer being trafficked under sin. We're no longer slaves of our uh, slave master known as sin, which we were before we came to Christ. But because now we are in Christ and that old nature has been crucified and we don't have a sinful nature any longer. Sorry to burst that bubble for you, but you do not have a sinful nature any longer. Actually, I'm not sorry, but you do not have a sinful nature any longer. You don't. If you are in Christ, you are new. You're made new. You can keep talking about your sinful nature all day long, but that thing was crucified with Christ. You're not a sinner. You're not even a sinner saved by grace. I know that's like a really, you know, fun thing. It sounds cool. It sounds great. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know what? You're not. You're not. Fundamentally, you are not a sinner. You're not. Your identity is in Christ. You are righteous. You are righteous apart from the law. You are righteous 
by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not because of what you've done, but because of Jesus's obedience. Can I get an amen, hallelujah, or something from somebody, right? Like, stop focusing on sin. This is what the law did. The law gave the people a sin consciousness, a sin mindedness. But under grace, we get to be Christ conscious. We get to be Jesus minded. And that is how we get free. Contrary to popular belief, you do not get free from sin by focusing on your sin. In other words, you don't get free from sin by focusing on not sinning. You get free from sin by focusing on Jesus and by putting your faith in him to help to, to, to defeat every single sin issue and challenge and problem that you face that you're facing. He did it once and for all. And so we've um, entered into Christ. And so Paul tells us again, walk in him. You're in Christ. I mean, you can choose. And, and, and I think in some ways we all choose it from time to time, right? Like we can very easily choose to continue to live under a law-mindedness. We can very easily choose to keep living in this way where we feel like our works are what are making us right before God. And it's exhausting. And God wants you to be at rest because he's already done all of the heavy lifting for you. And you get to rest in him and be confident, not in your flesh, not in righteousness from the law, but in what he's done for you. That's where rest comes from. That's where rest comes from. It comes from, from, from putting your confidence and your hope and your faith in what Jesus has already accomplished for you. Grace is so much better. All right. So I was going to go, I was going here to uh, Titus. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. And so I was talking about how grace, it doesn't give us a license to sin. It actually takes away our excuse because grace is so good that it empowers us to be free from sin. It empowers us to depart from evil behavior. It just does. So, you know, next time somebody says that that grace is, uh, is, is like permission to sin or grace is permission to do bad things, it's not. So check this out. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I bet you probably haven't heard this verse in a long time. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So again, it's the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Oh, man, these verses are so good. I'm definitely not going to have time to, to do this justice, but oh, man. So look, the grace of God has appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So this is what grace does. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin. Grace actually teaches you to live soberly and righteously 
what what's the what's the other word there that I that I just forget? Uh, to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Grace does not give you permission to sin. Grace instructs you and encourages you and teaches you and positions you to live righteously. How cool is that? This stuff is actually in the Bible. So look, this this word here, so where where it says here in verse 12, teaching us, this word teaching or or teach is a very interesting word. So I don't know how to pronounce it. The phonetic um, of the Greek word is like paiduio. I don't have, okay, just pretend I didn't do that just now. I have no idea how to pronounce this word. It's like, it starts with a P. Um, and this word, this is the only place in the Bible where this word is translated teach, at least in, um, you know, King James, New King James that kind of thing. There, there may be other translations of the Bible that, um, that, uh, will use a different word there, but, but this is the only place that I've found where the, this particular word, paido, uh, <laughs> something like that is actually translated teach. It is most often translated. You ready for this? Chasten or chastise. So this word is actually used in Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 16 and 23, where Pilate is talking about having Jesus chastised. He says, I'm going to have Jesus paiduod to chast to, to be. And, and so the, uh, the King James Version uses the word, um, uh, I, j I just said it a second ago, uh, chastise. Yeah. What it actually, what he's actually talking about there is flogged beaten whipped severely that's what it means and so it's interesting that that is the word that paul is using here to talk to titus about what grace does to us grace teaches us that denying ungodliness that we should live soberly righteously and godly so grace flogs us severely or <laughs> or grace uh, disciplines us chastens us chastises us the just the strong's definition here to, means to train up a child to educate by implication discipline and uh, in parentheses even by punishment chastened instruct learn teach so these are some of the words that this word means and it's interesting because this word again it doesn't show up in other parts of the bible in in, in the translation for teach it usually shows up when it's translated for uh, correction for punishment for chastising for chastening that's how this word is usually translated and it's really really interesting and i think the holy spirit really knew what he was doing when he inspired paul to insert that word here that this is what grace does now this is not to say that grace is trying to to you know to beat you up and condemn you it's not that at all remember that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus romans chapter 8 verse 1 so this can't be talking about condemnation but what it is talking about is how grace is not letting us get away with stuff grace is not letting us just throw caution to the wind and just abandon all of our uh you know, ideas of what's right and wrong and all this kind of stuff. Grace doesn't do that. What grace does is through the direction of the Holy Spirit, it actually trains us, instructs us the same way that a parent would instruct their child and train up their child in a way that they should go to educate, right? 
that grace actually educates us on how to live holy, how to live righteously, how to live soberly, how to live with a sound mind, how to make good decisions in the midst of this world that we're living in. This is what grace does for us. So the next time somebody tries to tell you that grace is permission or license to sin, or the next time you have the thought that, well, I wonder if I can just do anything that I want because I'm under grace and because God's already forgiven me anyway. So does it really matter if I sin or not? It does not for your salvation, but for your training and instruction in righteousness, because the kind of grace that God gives to us is so good that it takes away. It takes away that excuse to say, oh, well, you know, the devil just made me do it. Or, you know, I, I, I was I was tempted and I fell into sin. OK, all right, fine. But we can't blame sin. Like this is what grace does. Grace takes away. It's like we no longer have the luxury to blame sin for the mistakes that we make. Now, before you came to Christ, you could blame sin because Paul actually says in Romans chapter six and seven, you have these really incredible descriptions of what sin is really like. And he uses the terminology that slave that we were uh, that before we knew Christ, that we were sold as slaves. In other words, we were trafficked under sin. Sin was your pimp, and you were a slave. And so apart from Christ, you definitely have, uh, in, in a certain sense, not an excuse in terms of like an excuse for not you know being saved or, or, or any of that, but there's something that you can point to to say, uh, you know, I'm in sin and it's not even it's not even really my fault. Because there's, there, there's an aspect of the sinful life, there's an aspect of the sinful nature where you are carnal, you're carnally minded, you're sold under sin. So I, you know, don't get, don't be surprised when sinners sin, you know, don't be surprised when the world makes really bad decisions. I mean, that's the nature of, of, of what it is, but in Christ, you have been set free. In Christ, you are no longer a slave of sin, but you are, Paul uses this language in Romans chapter 6, that you're a slave to God. In other words, you are under the jurisdiction and the authority of God. And that's not a negative thing, by the way. It's just that's the language that Paul used for lack of like good language to make the point clear that he was trying to make. He even explains it that way in the passage. And so when we... When we think that, that uh, excuse me, not sin, that grace or that righteousness or that the new covenant is like this thing that's giving us permission to continue to do wrong things because we're saved anyway. Like it's just completely missing the point. What we're talking about there is immaturity. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about an immature uh, level of Christianity. And that's okay too because grace is going to help you grow as long as you're willing to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, we read this verse last time, but I'm going to bring it up again from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, is it 16 or 17? It's verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where you allow the Holy Spirit to have lordship in your life, you will experience his liberty. 
you will experience his freedom. You will walk in his freedom. But when we take the areas of our life that we don't want God to have and we wall them off and we hide them and we close them and we try to hide behind these different things that we've built up in our lives to, to, to seemingly protect us, it's in those areas where we experience lack. It's in those areas where we don't experience the fullness of the freedom that Christ came to secure for us. But when we allow the Holy Spirit permission to move in those areas, to unpack those areas of woundedness, to, to, to free us from those areas where we've maybe because of pain or maybe because of trauma or whatever it might be, there's so many different reasons. But when we allow the Holy Spirit the permission and we give him the authority to really be Lord, to have lordship in those areas of our life, then we really begin to experience his freedom there. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to set you free. He came to set you free. And my friends, the new covenant is so much better at bringing you into freedom than the law ever was. And so don't let people trick you. Don't let the enemy trick you. Don't, don't be tricked into thinking that we've got to keep some law stuff here because the law gives us structure. No, the law gives you bondage. The law gives you something inferior that was good for the people that were under it in the season that they were in because it helped to instruct them. It helped to be their tutor, Paul says, to bring them to Christ. But it's not for you today. You don't need the structure of the law to keep you from sinning. You just need to understand how good and how thorough and how complete the grace of God really is. Because when we understand how good the grace of God really is, we will never, let me tell you, if, if we understand how good God's grace is, we will never use it as an excuse to sin. If you understand how good the grace of God really is, it will never become that thing that gives you permission to keep sinning. Because you know what grace does? Grace continually allows us to see more and more and more of who God is, who Jesus is, how good he is, how beautiful he is, how faithful he is. And our automatic response is to want to obey him. God wants you to obey. I want you to obey. I want to obey, <laughs> right? Like God wants your obedience, but he's so positioned you the way that he has because he wants your obedience out of a heart response of love, not out of coercion and not because you're afraid that he's going to condemn you if you don't get it right. Grace does not condone sin. It just doesn't condemn you. Grace doesn't condone sin. Remember what these verses say. It actually teaches you to live righteously. And so let's just jump down a couple more verses. We, we already read them once, but uh, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I wanted to point that out. God wants you zealous for good works. So I've been like bashing works this whole time, right? But not really. The only thing I'm bashing is using works as a way to get more favor with God. 
using works as a way to get salvation, using works as a way for get, to get God to look at you because your works don't do any of that. God already looks at you as his son or as his daughter through the lens of what Christ Jesus accomplished for you once and for all time. You have his favor. You have his blessing. You have his heart. You have the face of God shining toward you. You have his smiling face just shining down on you in joy. I believe with all my heart, God is overjoyed at the sight of you. Whether you just sinned or you just did something really awesome and had a really great victory for God, he is overjoyed at the sight of you. You bring joy to the heart of your father. So I'm only bashing works in terms of their ability to get us close. Um, how do I say? I'm, I'm bashing works in terms of their ability to get us right with God, to position us for God's favor. They don't do that. So you don't have to do any works to get right with God. That happened at the cross. Jesus did it. Remember, it's his obedience, not your obedience. Good works don't save you and good works don't get you favor with God. Jesus does that. Jesus already did that. Our good works do not get us in the door. Jesus already did that. But here's the thing. We're also not going to throw good works out in defense of grace. Because God wants you zealous for good works. So here's the thing. Grace doesn't require your good works in order to get you to God. But grace empowers you to do good works. So it's no longer I do good works to get to God. It's I've gotten to God because of what Jesus did for me. And now good works are the result. They're the outflow. They're the overflow of my life. When I do good works, it should come from overflow, not from this place in my mind that says, I got to do this in order for God to be happy with me. Grace empowers us to do good works, and it empowers us more effectively and from a position of unconditional love and acceptance. So you are unconditionally accepted by God, meaning that if you don't do the good works, God's not changing his mind about saving you. God's not changing his mind about how much he loves you, about how much he cares about you. He's not. But you are going to miss out on a lot of good stuff in this life if you are not zealous for good works. So God wants you to be excited. God wants you to be passionate about good works. We don't work for grace, but we do work from grace. We aren't saved by works, but we are saved by grace for works. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm going to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read into verse 10. I'm going to start in verse 8. I mentioned these verses earlier. These verses really show us about how we're saved by grace and it's through faith and the faith that it required to get us in the door didn't even come from us. Even that was a grace gift from God. So watch this verse eight for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Like God doesn't want us boasting in our flesh for any of it, for the faith that it took to get us saved, for the faith that it that it takes to continue to be like to continue to walk in our salvation and our free. Like he doesn't want any of it. He doesn't want any of it to fall on our flesh because what happens if it falls on our flesh, then it leaves the door open for condemnation when our flesh fails us, which it inevitably will. 
So it's all a grace gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God doesn't require good works out of you so that you can get saved. But because you are saved, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are created in Christ Jesus, but but you're created for good works. That's why we need grace in the first place so that we can do works. Not to get to God, not to get God pleased with us, but for the enhancement of this life so that heaven can come to earth, so that heaven can come and be established in your family, so that heaven can be established in your community. So look, I'm I'm telling you, grace is not about, uh, excuse me, good works are not about getting you right with God or getting God happy with you or anything like that but they are about helping other people to see how good God is. And I even believe that God loves us so much that it's also even just about enhancing our life, enhancing our relationship, enhancing our walk with him. Because, I mean, is there anything better than this reality that you and I get to participate in the establishing of the kingdom of God here on the earth, that we actually get to co-labor with God here on the earth through his grace i mean we're not we're we're not doing these good works apart from grace we're doing these good works because of grace by grace in grace like through grace or whatever you know preposition you want to put there we're 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 doing the works that god has called us to do because like you know otherwise we can kind of get this sort of fatalistic mindset or mentality where we're just like hanging on you know It's like, oh man, life is so good. God is so good. Like we can develop kind of a weird mindset, I think, if we don't have our our, our eyes set towards something that we're actually co-laboring with God to see his kingdom come and established here in the earth. But again, we don't have to lose any of the reality of his grace in the process because we are unfortunate. So look, again, really want to drill this in. All of our requirements for salvation are met in Jesus Christ. All of them. All of our requirements for salvation are met in Jesus Christ. Now, because you are in Christ, there is work to do. Not to be right with God, but so that other people can see how good God is. And I'm not just talking to my friends that are in ministry in terms of full-time ministry. I'm not just talking to my friends that preach at pulpits or that, you know, go overseas as missionaries or what I'm not, I'm not just talking to those people. I'm talking to every single person. I'm talking to all the people because whatever you do, whatever you're called to do, you have an assignment from God, whether it's business, whether it's full-time, you know, vocational ministry, whether it's to be a stay-at-home parent, And you know what I've like discovered more and more is, you know, even those things, like we kind of put these labels on things and it's like, oh, well, like I'm a, you know, I'm a stay at home mom or dad or like, oh, you know, I, uh, I run this business or I'm a pastor or I'm whatever. And we kind of have these things 
these labels that we put on ourselves. And what I've found is that like a lot of times seasons change. Now you might be uh, in the same field or industry or ministry or whatever for, you know, 60 years of your life. You might do that, but there's also a really good chance that, that your life is going to ebb and flow a little bit, that you're going to have different seasons. You may have seasons where your focus is fully ministry. You may have seasons where like 99% of your focus is on you raising your kids and on your family, on taking care of your, uh, your, your spouse while they, you know, work really hard. Or like there may be seasons of your life where you have different like transitionary points. You may have other seasons where you flip houses and you might not do that forever, but you might do it for a season. You might have seasons where you focus on different things. But the point is that if you are following the leading of the Holy Spirit, like remember, God has an assignment for your life. And in the midst of that, whether it involves ministry in terms of like what we would look at traditional ministry, or if it involves like the ministry of uh, running a business well and people seeing the goodness of God on display through your life and the way that you treat your employees and the way that you actually seek the face of God for his direction and what you're doing. Like when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our steps, the result is we participate in the establishment of his kingdom here in the earth. And that is an incredible, incredible responsibility. And it is an incredible privilege. And it happens through grace. It happens as we work in grace, in tandem with the Spirit of God. Not for salvation, but uh, from grace. Again, salvation is not... not, not um, Salvation is not based on works. You are saved based on what Jesus did. You're saved based on Jesus's works. But because you're saved, he has so positioned you in his grace, which is so incredible that you get to co-labor with him here in the earth to see his kingdom come and his will be done as you partner with him to bring heaven to earth. So I... um gonna i'm gonna wrap up i finally did one of these in less than an hour come on everybody that's a that is a miracle but i feel like that's a good place to, to stop there there's probably going to be maybe one or two more of these or maybe it'll extend even further beyond that i'm not sure next week guys um i've got i've got a um, couple of really really good interviews coming up next week i have an awesome interview coming up the week after that i have an awesome interview scheduled i'm really really uh excited and I really think you're going to get so much value out of those two conversations that are coming up. I kind of, because of the the, the people that I'm uh, interviewing or that I'm having a conversation with, I already have an idea of, of uh, what the conversation is going to center on. I don't always get that. A lot of times I'm just talking to somebody and what we talk about is kind of up in the air until we land on a point and then we just kind of let it flow. But um, I have a really, really awesome conversation coming up. I think I'm trying to remember. I'm being a little bit vague because I just don't remember which one is which. I, I believe, yeah, see, I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I'm not sure which one is which, but I've got two really awesome conversations coming up. Uh, one of them is going to kind of be focused on uh, a recent episode that I did where I talked about women in ministry and we're going to dive into that, but I'm going to get to talk to a, uh, an expert on the subject. And I'm really, really excited about that. And then I get a chance to interview. I'm so pumped about this. I get a chance to interview um, the executive director of, uh, I believe it's the fastest growing, um, 
anti-human trafficking organization in the country or one of them, or it, I, that my stats might be off on that. I'm pretty sure I said that the right way. So anyway, really, really pumped about those. Tell your friends, guys, um, if, if you're getting any kind of value out of these conversations, my heart here is just to see the kingdom of God come. And I think that the more and more we actually become in tune and in touch, not just in words, but in an experiential way, what this new covenant that you and I live under is really all about, I just think that it opens us up, it positions us so much more to be led of the Spirit, to be used by God to accomplish His purposes in the earth. Like when I'm not focused on having to do certain things to get God's favor, but I recognize that I'm already operating from a place of God's favor because of what Jesus did for me. I mean, that just blows my mind. It's incredible. And what that does, the freedom that that gives you, the freedom that that gives you to just walk with him, to enjoy him, to enjoy life, to enjoy freedom, to experience it and give it away to others. It's just, it's just next level and nothing compares. Going back to where I started this whole thing off today, it's just so amazing that Paul, you know, contrasting old versus new when, you know, he's somebody that under the old, he really had it going on. He really had it together. He was doing great under the old, but recognizing that he could surrender all of that, all of those personal accolades that he had achieved and all of the self-righteousness that came from all of the years that he devoted his life to doing the right things that would become so easy to boast in. You know, and I know how easy it is and how uh, tempting it is to try to earn our salvation, to try to work for our salvation, to try to uh, boast when we do the right things, like to try to boast when we've, you know, read our Bible the right way, to try to boast when we've done the right ministry stuff, to try to boast in these different things. We don't have to have any confidence in the flesh. We put all of our confidence in Jesus, in Jesus and him crucified, because that is where our victory comes from. That's where our freedom comes from. And Paul was so willing to lay all of that stuff down and to call it nothingness, to call it rubbish when compared with the excellence of what actually comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a new covenant that completely outshines the old in every single way. And so I just bless you guys this week. I pray that you walk in and experience more of the favor of God as your mindset just turns to him, as you focus on him, as you behold him, because as you behold him, you become more like him. Bless you guys. Hope you have an awesome, amazing week. Have an awesome 4th of July. And let me just say, I do uh, just want to say thank you to um, all of the men and women that have fought for this country, for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice and sacrificed their lives for this country. Um, I know tomorrow, right, this is July 3rd at the time of this live recording. So um, happy 4th of July to everybody. Make sure you take a moment and just honor those um, that are connected to you that are uh, either serving in one of the armed forces or that are veterans of one of the armed forces or whatever the case may be. But thank you all so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for serving. Thank you to all of the uh, families, the spouses of our you know military uh, wives and husbands um, for the support that you give to them. You often don't get recognized the way that I believe that that you should. Um, and it's and it's criminal. But thank you guys so much for all that you do for uh, all of the families that are connected to those that are serving and have served. You guys are amazing. And I uh, hope you all uh, just have an awesome, amazing week. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Stay awesome. Stay safe. And uh, we'll see you next time.